You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And the reason for this was that Ishbosheth knew that his day was almost over as well. That is, with the loss of his general Abner. You see, the problem was that Ishbosheth had actually placed his trust in man rather than placing his trust in God. As it relates to God ordaining him and anointing him as king over Israel there in the north. You might have heard the saying, man makes plans and God laughs. While that may seem a little harsh, the truth is that when God isn't behind what you're trying to do, it's not going to work out the way that you think it will. This is exactly what you see in today's study. Pastor Mike explains that Ishbosheth knew his time as king was coming to an end. You see, he had put his trust in other people instead of letting God establish his kingship. So when people failed him, Ishbosheth was left standing on shaky ground. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Trustworthiness of God's Promises. This is a part of our Making of a Man of God series, studies in the book of 2 Samuel. And as I mentioned, we'll just continue where we left off last time. And that would be in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And uh, not only are we going to cover 2 Samuel chapter 4, which is sort of a, a briefer chapter than some of the other chapters in 2 Samuel, we're also going to move into chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5. So uh, chapter 4. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, serve as our text uh, today. And this message, the title is The Trustworthiness of God's Promises. We've just closed out our series in 1 Samuel, and then we've moved on into the next book, appropriately, 2 Samuel, and we've been tracing God's sovereign work in the life of his servant, David. All of the promises that he made to David. You know, uh, all of the highs and the lows and the pitfalls and his enemies and how he was able to overcome them, how that God went before him, and, and uh, you know, which all culminated. And now, you know, David finally ascending to the throne as God had promised him. And, uh, and over these last several months, we've learned something about how God works in the lives of his people, that is you and me. So I hope that it's been an encouragement and a real blessing to you. And so we're going to be continuing along those same uh, lines and and uh, considering God's work in the life of his servant, uh, David. Okay, so to set up this Bible study, let's back up a little bit. 
Remember, last time we left Abner, the northern kingdom's general. By this time, the nation of Israel has actually been divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of the north, and there the king, his name was Ishbosheth. Remember, we were introduced to him. He was one of Saul's kings. Saul has now been killed in battle going up against the Philistines. So Ishbosheth is the king in the north, and in the south, the kingdom has been divided now, the north and the south, David now reigns upon the throne in the south. So anyway, last uh, time together, we left Abner, the northern king's general and real power broker, trying to persuade the leaders of Israel to join forces with David, to bring the people, the entire nation, under and the kingdom under the rule of David as their king. But just when Abner's plan appeared to be succeeding, he was maliciously murdered by Joab, David's military uh, leader. Let's revisit that. Let's go back to the previous chapter, just as a reminder, in chapter 3 and verse 27. Notice there we read, Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, and Abner thought and believed that he was summoned uh, by David to return uh, to the city of Hebron, where uh, David was ruling uh, from, Notice there, Joab took him aside in the gate or the entrance to the city of Hebron to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach and so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his uh, brother. Now, that brings us to our next chapter. That's where we left off last time. And let's begin now in chapter 4 in verse 1. And there we read, when Saul's son heard, that is Ishbosheth, that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all of Israel was troubled. So this verse creates a graphic picture of events that were taking place in the northern kingdom as news had been brought back to its king, Ishbosheth, of Abner's murder. And notice the way that he responds to this news. He immediately loses all confidence his hands hung loose, and his courage was gone. Now, and, and the reason for this was that Ishbosheth knew that his day was almost over as well. That is, with the loss of his general, Abner. You see, the problem was that Ishbosheth had actually placed his trust in man, rather than placing his trust in God. As it relates to God ordaining him, and anointing him as king over Israel there in the north. You know, when we know that God's hand is upon us, and God is working, and God has called us to do a very specific uh, task, whatever that task may be, as a part of our life's experience, we have that assurance that God is with us, right? And that all things are going to work out according to his perfect plan. And so we're placing our entire trust and confidence in God. And whatever comes, we're just, we're just resting in that confidence. The trustworthiness of God's promise. And God has promised us so many things as a part of our life's experience, right? As it relates to our family, our wives, our husbands, our children, our places of employment, the goals that we feel that God wants us to achieve. You know, we have the hope that God is going to make good on those promises. And we're just resting. No matter what happens, no matter the pitfalls, the struggles, the difficulties, the obstacles that may come our way, 
we know that God is in control. But Ishbosheth did not have that confidence. Why? Because it wasn't God ordained that he should be the next king over Israel. Remember, so many years before, God had already chosen and anointed David to be the next king over uh, Israel. And so that's the, that's the reason why, when the news had come back to Ishbosheth, that he loses all confidence, his hands hung loose, and his courage was gone. But notice also the paralysis felt by the king spread to the tribes under his control. Well, listen, this was the fruit of their folly, being self-seeking. They left God out of their deliberations and their plans. You know what this reminds me of? So many politicians here in the United States today. You know, we think about our own country, the United States of America, that was founded on godly principles. You know, even on our coins, it says, one nation unto God, right? And that should serve as a reminder. But we today have failed, you know, to keep God in his rightful place. And in our deliberations, in our plans, we've kept God out from them. And through that disobedience, it always leads to frustration and eventual failure. And I think that's what we're experiencing right here in our own United States of America today. You can't put God out of the equation, right? And, uh, you know, as uh, Hosea put it, we've sown to the wind and now we're reaping the whirlwind. And so I think that's really the, the uh, explanation of the things that are going on uh, within our country today. We've left God out. So anyway, they realize their true leader, Abner, is dead, that Ishbosheth was just a puppet in his hands. You see, uh, Joab, or rather Abner was really the power broker, uh, placing Ishbosheth upon the throne there in the north. They realized that they are in a very precarious uh, situation. But notice, according to our text that we're about to read, beginning in verse 2, all of a sudden we're introduced to these two men from Saul's own tribe, and that would have been the tribe of Benjamin, and they decide to take matters into their own hands. Okay, so let's pick up now in chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. Now Saul's son, and who's Saul's son? Remember Jonathan, had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Banner, and the name of the other was Rechab. The sons of Rimmon, the Berothite, okay, I just killed that name, of the children of Benjamin, and don't be confused about this, notice in parentheses it says, for Beeroth also was part of Benjamin. So these two fellows that were introduced to here, Jonathan's captains, they were Israelites, okay? Uh, the area that had been granted to them by King Saul was this city of Beeroth. And so don't be confused about that. Notice it says there in verse 3, because the Berothites fled to Githam and have been sojourners there until this uh, day. In fact, this location was attacked by Saul, and we saw that in uh, one of our uh, previous studies in the book of 1 Samuel. But because of their loyalty and uh, because of their faithfulness in battle, these two men that were introduced to here in verse 2 were granted land by King Saul. And so that's the reference to it. So don't be confused. These fellows were both uh, Israelites. Verse 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, 
had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, that is, that they had died in the battle against the Philistines, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Then the sons of Rimmon, the Berethite, uh, Rechab, and Banner set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying in his bed at noon. So he, the king was taking a siesta. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat. So they masqueraded themselves as if they were coming into the house to get some food. And they stabbed him, that is Ishbosheth, the king in the north, in the stomach. Then Rechab and Banner, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed, the king, in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. Okay, so they realize now, these two men, that their true leader Abner is dead, that Ishbosheth was just a puppet in his hands. They realize that they are in a very precarious uh, situation, as I had already uh, mentioned. And all of a sudden now we're introduced to these two men and their plot to uh, kill the king. And there's a couple of things here that I want you to draw your attention to. The first of which is, notice the writer is very careful for his readers to realize that David did not instigate these events. And remember, going back to my opening statement, he, he was just resting in God's promise. And he knew that eventually God would bring him to that place where he would be king over Israel. So he wasn't striving to come into that place or position, right? No pressure upon him at all. Uh, he didn't make any plans to kill the king. And so the writer is very careful to show us this in his writings. So as clearly as possible, the writer specifies the real culprits. And notice he records their names, these two men in verses 2, 5, 6, and 9, and also their father's name, and then the place of their residence. Notice there in verses 2 and 3. So that we wouldn't make any mistake about who is responsible for the death and the killing of the king Ishbosheth. Now, according to verse 2, Banner and Rechab are seasoned warriors trained under Saul, and had come up the ranks and become uh, captains in Saul's army. And that would have meant that they were very capable individuals. And thus these men not only planned the assassination of Saul's son, Ishbosheth, but they also carried it out themselves. They didn't want to leave anything to chance. Now, before we move on, uh, I want to revisit verse 4 just for a moment and draw your attention to a couple of things. You know, verse 4 in context seems to be out of place. And it might have been actually inserted by an editor uh, later on after the book of 2 Samuel had been uh, written. And, uh, you know, most of 1 Samuel up until chapter 25 uh, in our uh, studies where we have the record of Samuel, the prophet's uh, death, have been attributed to Samuel writing that portion of the book. 
But tradition tells us that moving on to the remainder of 1 Samuel chapter 25, and then also a part of 2 Samuel, the entire book of 2 Samuel, were written by, and again, this is subject to speculation, we're not quite sure about this, but those books, uh, the portion of 1 Samuel and all of 2 Samuel, were written by the prophets Gad and Nathan. Now, I can't back that up. We don't really have any record of that in the scriptures, but uh, tradition tells us that. In fact, the Talmud, uh, the Jewish Talmud, uh, also uh, suggests that. So one of these prophets may have inserted this verse 4 that seems to be out of uh, place. But nevertheless, the biblical writer tells us of another of Saul's son, Mephibosheth. Notice we're introduced to him there in verse 4. He's referred to as the son of Saul, but he was actually Saul's grandson. He was Jonathan's son, and at this time he was presently, here in chapter uh, 4, he was 12 years old, and he was the last living descendant of Saul to be alive, which then uh, could have made him the next person to ascend to the throne. But notice, according to our text, except he had met with a tragic accident several years ago when he was five and taking precautions to safeguard his life. You see, after hearing of Saul and Jonathan's death by the Philistines, his nursemaid and Mephibosheth flee for fear of their lives. And while they were fleeing, according to verse 4, he met with this accident, and he became lame in his feet. And it left him incapacitated and unfit to lead the people of Israel. Well, anyway, getting back to the assassination plot of Ishbosheth, the usual custom in that day was to take a siesta midday. And this is something that's even practiced in many cultures, even uh, presently. That is, they rest until the sun goes down or the sun declines. And how these two brothers gain access to the king's bedroom without being challenged, we do not know. You would think that he would have placed guards outside of his uh, bedroom, his quarters. Well, anyway, uh, they were successful in killing the king. And notice in verse 8, let's go back now to our text. Notice what it says there in verse 8. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. And they thought that this would be pleasing to David, but we're going to find uh, just the opposite is true. Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord. Notice the explanation. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, David, this day of Saul and his descendants. Okay, so bringing before David Ishbosheth's severed head, proclaiming what they have done, reminding David of how Saul's perpetual, uh, how, how Saul persecuted him, uh, then suggesting that they were God's servants, God's instruments, defeating David's enemies. And they were also being directed by God, which was so far from the truth, assuring David of their loyalty, that their actions were furthering God's cause, 
claiming that they had God's approval in killing the king. I guess basically they were expecting a reward uh, and David's approval. But notice David's response is to denounce their act. Okay, let's read the remainder of chapter 4. Let's pick up now in verse 9. But David answered uh, Rechab and Banner, his brother, the sons of Rimmon, the uh, Beerothite, and said to them, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. Basically, in that statement that David used, he's saying, listen, I didn't need you guys to defend me, uh, to take up my cause. God is more than adequate, right? Notice it says there, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. You know, going back to 1 Samuel, think of all of the times that David escaped Saul's attempts to take his life from him. Uh, Sovereignly, God was working uh, in and through David's life, protecting him, going before him, providing for him. So, uh, you know, these guys thought that, again, you know, David would be pleased by the news that they had brought back to him. But notice again the way that David responds, because his trust was completely and totally uh, in the uh, Lord here. So, assuring David of their loyalty, that their actions were furthering God's cause, claiming that they had God's approval, expecting to be rewarded uh, by David. David's response is to denounce their act. Let's pick up now in verse 10. When someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead. Remember the Amalekite uh, back in 1 Samuel, when uh, the news had been brought uh, for the first time back to uh, David, the outcome of the battle between Israel and the Philistines concerning Saul's death, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him, the Amalekite, and had him executed in Ziglag. And by the way, that record of that is, is uh, recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 15. The one who thought would give him a reward for his news, basically that was the very thing that they had, were doing, how much more when wicked men, referring to these two brothers, have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed. Therefore shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? And so David commanded the young men, and they executed them, the two brothers. They cut off their hands and feet, hanged them by the pool in Hebron, but they took the head of Ishbosheth, the king in the north, and buried it in the tomb of Abner there in the city of Hebron. So, David, acting now as God's representative to the nation, David doesn't waste any time pronouncing his sentence upon these two brothers. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for